Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Titus 2.13. Tonight we're going to be talking about the oneness of God in history. And the battle from paganism that came against that doctrine, that truth. Amen. Titus chapter 2. Verse, let's start with verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing, appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That verse declares that He is our great God and Savior. And it is He that will appear for us. Amen. And His name is Jesus Christ. Let's read that verse together. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So is there an appearing of God separate from the appearing of Jesus Christ? Well, just because you got the word and there doesn't mean you've got two people coming back. But you've got God who is the Savior in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's who He is. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You tonight for Your awesome word. We ask God that You give us inspiration to declare this truth tonight in Jesus' name. Thank You for Your goodness, Your mercy, and Your grace. We praise You in advance. For what you're going to do here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in getting started, let me ask you a question tonight. Why do we baptize in Jesus' name? Why do we baptize in Jesus' name? Well, let me put it this way. Why do we baptize in, in Jesus' name instead of the, the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Well, primarily and specifically because Jesus is God. Do you understand that? That's the most important thing. Jesus is God. That's why we baptize in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is God. We don't believe that He's a second person of the Trinity. If you believe that there are three separate persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, if you believe that they are three separate persons, then you will baptize in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But because we believe that Jesus is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that Jesus is God come in the flesh, we baptize in the name of Jesus, not just because it's the right formula, but because Jesus is God. Now, I want Jeremiah to come up here. He doesn't know I'm going to do this, but I want him to just come on up here for just a minute. You're not in trouble. Come here. Where's Victoria? Come here, Victoria. <laughs> okay, Victoria. Now, will you come up here, Sam Victoria? No? Okay. <laughs> now, Victoria is in relationship to me, not because she's, you know, married to me. It's a relationship that's not marriage-based. Okay, why is she related to me? 
because she's got my blood. You understand? It's not a relationship based on marriage. It's a relationship based on the blood. Okay. You sit down. Thanks, Victoria. The point is this. We are in a relationship with God by blood. Because the blood is in the name of Jesus. So when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, because he is God, and because the blood is in the name, that's how you're in relationship with God. By blood. You see, we are married to him, but the, the most important thing to understand is that we are in a relationship with God by blood. Okay? Now, the reason why I'm asking that question as to why we baptize in Jesus' name is because Trinitarians are at a loss to explain why in the book of Acts, when they baptize, they baptize in the name of Jesus. Nowhere in the early church, not one time, did any apostle baptize in any other way except the name of Jesus Christ. You study the book of Acts, you'll not find one time that anybody was ever baptized in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, which is Jesus Christ. And so Trinitarians are at a loss as to explain why they baptize in the name of Jesus and not in the Trinitarian formula of Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They're at a loss. We understand because we believe that there is no such thing as the doctrine of the Trinity. Three separate persons. We believe that there's one God who manifests himself as Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They're not three separate persons that constitute God. So because of that, we baptize in the name of Jesus because of the Godness of Jesus. Now, let me just give this to you tonight. Let's just start out real basic here. When you go through your Bible, not only in the Scripture is nobody ever baptized in the titles, but always in the name of Jesus because Jesus is God. You also, when you read your Bible, you will find out something that is enough in and of itself to make you refute the doctrine of the Trinity. What is that? What is that fact? The fact is, the word Trinity, the word Trinitarian, the word triune God is not ever mentioned in your Bible. So if Trinity, Trinitarian, triune God is not mentioned in your Bible, where did this doctrine come from? It came from pagan roots. And these pagan roots are rooted in the Roman Catholic Church. Did you hear what I said? So if you ever hear somebody use the term Trinity, Triune, Trinitarian in reference to God, you know they're already out of the Bible. Because it's not ever one time mentioned. Those words are not used in the Bible. God is absolutely one. So tonight we're going to talk about where this trinity came from. Because the early church were one God believers. 
they believed that Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh. They baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins because they believed he was and is God. No Trinity term, no Trinitarian term, no triune term in the Bible at all. It came from paganism. Now, so the early church, one God believers, Jesus name baptizers, Holy Ghost filled speaking with other tongues, holiness people, apostolics. They came into conflict with paganism. Because as soon as the church was established, they were surrounded by paganism, which taught there was many, many, many gods. The culture they were in was a culture that was surrounded, surrounded by a pathanon of gods. A god for every pursuit in life. You understand? But here comes the church, and the church says, no, there's not a pathanon of gods. There's not many gods. There's only one God, and His name is Jesus. As a result of that, the church came under persecution by the pagans. It started out coming under persecution you can read in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. The first martyr in the church was a man by the name of Stephen. He was martyred in Jerusalem by Jewish leadership. Who did not believe that Jesus is God. Did you hear what I said? They did not believe that Jesus is God. So they persecuted Stephen, stoning him to death. The apostle Paul was there giving his consent at the stoning of Stephen. That's around AD 33, somewhere in there. I'm just guessing at the date right now. But I'm just going to try to give you a time frame here. The church was established around 30 AD. Approximately 30 AD. Around 33, 33 and a half AD, Stephen was stoned to death. Okay? And then Acts chapter 12, we have James, the brother of John, one of the disciples. He is martyred, beheaded, by Herod of Rome. So in the book of Acts you have the, the early church coming under persecution. First from the Jewish religious community. All right, all right. Then it came under persecution by the Roman authority. Stephen by Jewish people. Jewish leadership I should say. And then uh, James the brother of John by Roman authority Herod. You with me here? Okay. Following that then, as you progress into history, there is a man by the name of Nero. Everybody heard of Nero, right? He was the Caesar of Rome. And around 64 AD, he set fire. Now notice the progression. From about 34 AD 
All right, you with me? We have, of course, Stephen, and then after that, in Acts chapter 12, we've got James. Now, we're jumping some time here. 64 AD, Nero, the Caesar of Rome, it is believed that he set fire to Rome, you know, to amuse himself. Now, you can get this in your home Bible study. This is not new, but just to start somewhere. And just to amuse himself, it is believed that he started a fire, AD 64, and to avert the attention and the blame off of himself, he asked the question, who is the most hated of people in this empire of Rome? And it came back to him that the Christians were the most hated people in the land. So Nero put the blame of the burning of Rome upon the Christians. And as a result of that, the church came under the greatest persecution that it has ever gone through in history at the hands of the Roman Empire. 64 A.D. on through about 312 A.D. All the way up to the time that Constantine gave the Edict of Toleration. Making the church a state religion. Listen to me. There was severe persecution upon the church going back to Nero. Nero literally took them and put them on stakes and set them on fire in his gardens. And he went through the gardens and, and watched them burn upon the stakes. I'm talking about your brothers and sisters. Watched them burn. They were fed to the lions. They were beheaded. Many of them. They died severe, severe, horrible deaths. So Nero is really the starting point of the major persecution of paganism against the church. All right? Say amen. As you go through history, 312 A.D., a man rises up after Diocletian. He is, his name is Constantine. This man claims to have had a vision in the sky of a cross and that if he would embrace Christianity, he would become the next emperor of Rome. So he embraced Christianity and made the church the state religion, made it popular to become a Christian. You understand? And he gave an edict of toleration, which removed physical persecution off of the church in 312 A.D. You understand? But what he did, Constantine was a Baal worshiper. He took his Baal worship, this worship of more than one God. He took that and he mixed it with Christianity. He opened the church doors to the pagans, to the heathen, to people who worship more than one God. He opened the door to them. He opened the door to, the, to, to Judaism. And as a result of that, you have this marriage of the, the, the world with the church. You have this marriage with the false heathen and paganism into the church. So then the church became paganized. All right, you with me here? Under Constantine. Say amen. amen. Now, I'm, I'm just giving you a real overview here. Then we'll get into some details. But as you jump into history beyond Constantine and the Roman Catholic Church, you will find that in about 1500, there's a man by the name of Martin Luther. Let me get the exact date for you. Martin Luther in 1517, a, a monk, a Roman monk, a Roman Catholic monk, disagreed with Catholicism. 
And in 1517, he nailed a thesis, October the 31st, in Wittenberg, Germany, 1517. He nailed a thesis on a church door there in Germany, which refuted indulgences. What indulgences were, where the Catholic Church says you could pay money, you could pay for indulgence. Which means that you can sin and be released from the punishment of that sin by payment. It also meant, indulgences meant, that if the person, one of your family members had died, they believed that you would go to a place called purgatory. All right? It was an intermediate place where you suffered for your sin in this life. And after you got through suffering for your sin in this life, then you went on to heaven. It's called purgatory. They believed that indulgences not only would free you from punishment in this life, but you could also purchase with money that person's right out of purgatory to go to heaven. So Martin Luther, listen very carefully. Martin Luther comes along. He is credited for beginning the Reformation. Coming out of the Dark Ages. Through which the Catholic Church plunged the church with its paganism and its false doctrines. Okay? He comes in, he puts that thesis in Germany, he refutes indulgences, okay? He says, the just shall live by faith, which was going contrary to Roman Catholic doctrine, which said you could be saved by works, you could pay money, get people out of, out of purgatory, or pay money, and you would be forgiven your sin. He said, the just shall live by faith, and indulgences are wrong. So he is credited with, with a... Reform. Okay? Say amen. amen. We go from, uh, in history, we go down to a man by the name of John Calvin. John Calvin was a, uh, a man who a, the modern day church is named Presbyterian. The Presbyterians are rooted in, in Calvinism. Now, John Calvin is the man who prosecuted and persecuted uh, Servatus and had him burned at the stake. I gave you that the documentation last Wednesday night. Calvin, the founder of the Presbyterian movement, is the man who prosecuted him and uh, uh, witnessed against him. Are you with me here? John Calvin. Not to be mixed up with John Wesley. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist church. The Methodist church founded by John Wesley was a powerful church. It was, it was a church at one time that when they, they had revivals, people got the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues, and they taught holiness. A lot like what, what we experience. We get the Holy Ghost and, and we preach holiness. That's the Methodist movement, John Wesley. Okay, you with me here? The powerful move of God in those Wesleyan revivals. So the church is, is gradually going to begin. It's moving from the dark ages. Luther says that the, the just shall live by faith. Okay. Indulgences are wrong. And you go on. And I'm just giving you a few of these. Calvin, uh, he began to move a little bit closer to the truth with some of the doctrines he had. But he was still against the oneness of God teaching. He believed in the doctrine of the Trinity. To the point that when Servatus rose up. And refuted the doctrine of the Trinity. 
he had him burned at the stake. Although, you know, there was a law uh, that, that did it, he was the chief prosecutor of Servatus. Now, Calvin, I'm telling you this for a reason, Calvin was mixed up. He was really a confused man. Because he was really the main reason why Servatus was burned at the stake, he still did not believe that you could put in the Old Testament Hebrew God in Trinitarian form. He said you, he didn't even believe that you could take the Old Testament word of God and prove that God was a Trinity. He was very confused. Now I'm going to just read something to you tonight. This is out of the God of Two Testaments. Here's what it says. Three honest men. This is page 37. As we close this portion of our study, it might be well for us to con- contemplate three honest men. Two of the men lived in the 16th century. John Calvin and Michael Servatus of Villanova. Servatus died at the stake south of Geneva, Switzerland on October 27, 1553. So he would have known Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther put his theses up there on the church in Wittenberg, Germany, October 31st, 1517. Martin Luther was familiar with uh, Servatus's writings. Servatus died at the stake south of Geneva, Switzerland on October 27, 1553. His crime, he was condemned to death for religious heresy because of his knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament. Servatus had refused to worship a God of three persons. Okay? Thank God for that. His honesty cost him his physical life. Although a court of law passed Servatus' death sentence, John Calvin was the man primarily responsible for his death. For Calvin was the principal accuser and chief prosecutor in the trial. Unlike Servatus, he firmly believed in a God of three persons. And it was Calvin, his excessive zeal in this regard, that led to Servatus' death. And yet, even though John Calvin believed in a trinity of three persons throughout his life, he consistently denied that the Hebrew Old Testament supported the doctrine. Did you hear that? So he's confused. (laughs) Throughout his life, he believes in the doctrine of the trinity, but he says, there's the Bible for it. So even before he burnt, had, you know, voiced his opinion against Servatus and had Servatus burned at the stake, John Calvin was, you know, he still, he, he understood that the Bible didn't teach the Trinity. But he got swept into the pagan lie. And we'll talk about the pagan lie. Okay? It is ironic that some today would turn to the Old Testament and try to prove of all things the God of three persons. It was because of his honesty that Calvin never resorted to misinterpretation of Elohim to try to justify his belief. For he knew Hebrew and he knew the Hebrew scriptures. Okay? Now you got a piece of paper there. I think most of you have that paper now. If you'll go over there in your little book there. Appreciate Sister Lisa coming by and picking that up and running copies for us tonight. There's a lot of information in that. If you will look there, the challenge to the Trinitarianism, the challenge to Trinitarianism in the early Reformation, on page 6, which would be the second page, you will see 
Last column. Ironically, this quote reveals that Calvin, the man responsible for the execution of Servetus on charges of heresy, had apparently entertained some doubts himself. He questioned the essentiality of the Trinitarian formulation and initially agreed to have fellowship with certain individuals who did not want to use it. In the Confession of Faith, which he formulated for the Church of Geneva in the year 5036, it is certain that neither the word Trinity nor the word person is to be found, he explained. Okay. He goes on the last part of that next page. The first principle we acknowledge in the scriptures is the being of one God. But as the same scripture speaks of a father, a son, and a Holy Ghost, what have we for it but to own three persons in the Godhead? These, however, imply no plurality of persons. Neither do they destroy the essential unity of God. The one God does comprise himself in three properties. You see how confused he is? He was very confused. The one hand, he kills a man, has a man burned at the stake because he believes in the doctrine of the Trinity, and he has some doubt himself about it. It's truth. The founder of the modern Presbyterian movement. Okay, y'all with me here? All right. Amen. Very interesting. Well, you go on down a little bit through church history. John Wesley was one of the founders of the Methodist Church. In his revivals, the Holy Ghost was received and he preached holiness. The early 1900s, the early 1900s, Holy Ghost, one God, Jesus' name, baptism is preached. Today, millions believe this doctrine. So, now, now listen very carefully. There was a time when the oneness church are people who preach in the oneness of God. That Jesus is God come in the flesh. And that there is no doctrine of the Trinity. There was a time that they were looked at as a little insignificant group. But not today. Things are different today. Amen. Amen. So tonight I'm going to try, I give you a little bit of church history here, but I'm going to try tonight to show you where the paganism assault came from against the church. All right? Because of the belief of many gods, the Parthenon of gods, the church came under assault. Do you understand? At first, by physical persecution and death. Later, it came under assault by evil men like Constantine embracing false doctrine, embracing Christianity and mixing them together and bringing false doctrine into the church. It was coming under assault. But before Constantine ever established or started to establish the doctrine of the Trinity in the church, there was history that was before that that you need to know about that was an, an assault against the oneness believers. Okay? Are you with me at this point? When you talk about paganism coming against the church, there is somebody you need to, you need to write down. Maybe you've never heard about this person before. His name was Theophilus of Antioch. Theophilus of Antioch. He became the bishop of Antioch in 168. 168. So that would make him post apostles. Okay? The last apostle to be, to, to be killed was the apostle John. 
A.D. 95, or he didn't get killed, he died a natural death. But he was the last apostle. So you follow the time here? Stephen is killed around 30, 34 A.D., right after the founding of the church. James is slain in Acts chapter 12. Nero, 64, starts a major persecution against the church. 64, you with me? Goes all the way to 312 A.D., physical persecution. Until the, of Edir, uh, the uh, edict of toleration by Constantine lifted that persecution off the church and paganism moved into the church. We're going to try to explain that to you. What you have then is after the apostles, last apostle, 95 AD, John, he dies. You've got history that follows these apostles. You have sons of apostles like Timothy, like Titus. These are men, these are sons of true apostles that are carrying on the faith. All right? After the death of the apostles. But at the same time, you have, and there's many writings, and I'm not going to direct, deal with directly right after the death of the apostles in the time of Titus and Timothy, etc. But you have around 130 A.D. to 180 A.D. At the same time, you've got major physical persecution upon the church. Beginning when? 64 under Nero. Up to how long? 312, the Edict of Toleration by Constantine. But in that same time frame, not only do you have an assault of paganism against the church and trying to kill these one God believers, but you also have what is called the Greek apologist that rose up. Now, who are these Greek apologists? Because this is where the doctrine of the Trinity comes from. Greek apologists, they were uh, men who wrote in the Greek language. And they wrote their writings. Apologists means to defend Christianity. So these Greek apologists, they wrote in the Greek language defense of Christianity. They wrote their defense or their apologetics not to the church, but they wrote it to the unbelievers. Now, here's the problem. These Greek apologists, these Greek men who are trying to defend Christianity, in order to try to harmonize with the pagans around them, do you hear what I said? In order to harmonize with the pagans around them and the pagan philosophy around them, what they did is they started using Greek terms to explain Christianity. So Greek philosophy came into the church as these writers were writing to unbelievers using pagan terms and Greek terms to appeal to them. And because they were using this, this Greek philosophy or these terms of Greek philosophy to appeal to pagans, it, it removed the purity of the truth. Do you understand? Yes. Now, a part of these Greek apologists' doctrine was they believed and taught that the Logos, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word, word, there's logos in the Greek. 
They said the word or Logos was a created deity. Or that the Logos, the word, is the Son. And the Son is a created deity by the Father. So basically they taught two gods. The apologists did. You understand what I'm trying to get you to understand? To see here? We believe that the word, the Bible says the word was with God and the word was God. So the word was not a separate person from God. It was God himself. God himself became a man. Okay? Or, you know, he wasn't just a man, but he came as a man. He came in the form of a man. Here's the point. The apologist saying, okay, that the son is the is a secondary deity or a second person in the Godhead. They didn't use the term person, but that's what they believed. They thought that he was that the word was a separate being from God. Do you understand? Say amen if you do. I don't know if you do, but anyway. These Greek apologists, specifically one's name against Theophilus of Antioch, who was the bishop of Antioch, 168. He died in the year 181. Theophilus of Antioch is the first man in history. Notice, it wasn't 325 AD under Constantine that the Trinity first appeared. You with me? This apologist, this Greek apologist, who is using Greek philosophy and Greek terms to explain Christianity and corrupting the truth of the Word of God as they did it, he is believed to be the first person to ever use a word that is even close to Trinity. Okay? The word that he used is triad. The triad or also triados or the triads. He is the first person to use that term in relationship to God. Triad, triads, or triados. You with me? Greek apologist. Amen. Now, what happens in history is there is another man who comes along. His name is Tertullian. Tertullian lived from 150 to 225. Tertullian gets a hold of this terminology from this Greek apologist. He gets a hold of that word, the trinad, and he then Latinizes it. And he calls it trinitis, English trinity. Tertullian is the first man who, is, who ever used the phrase trinity or trinitis in relationship to God. He is the first person he, he coined the phrase Trinity. Okay? Tertullian. He coined the, the phrase Trinity. He also, for the, he's the first person in history to ever use the word person in relationship to God. And he says that God is a Trinity of three persons. He goes so far as to say that God, this God, all right, the Son and the Holy Ghost all have three separate physical bodies. 
All right? So, if they've got three separate physical bodies, you've got tritheism on your hand. You've got three gods on your hand. So, so, so Tortillian is the first one who uses the term Trinity. He got it from that Greek apologist. So what I'm trying to show you, what the Greeks taught about the Logos, Tertullian took it and turned it into a Trinity. He did not believe that Jesus was and is God. He believed that Jesus is in the Godhead. Not God, but a person in the Godhead. Okay? He got that philosophy from the Greek apologist who taught that the Word was a separate, separate being from God. Okay, you with me here? Tertullian, again, did not believe that Jesus was God. First person to use the term person in relationship to God. The first person to use the term Trinity in relationship to God. His name was Tertullian. Okay? With me, and he is called the father of theology to the West. Now, there's another man by the name of Origen, or Oregon, you might call him. Origen, his day, his life, 184, 185 to 254 AD. Okay, so their lives overlap. Oregon is also another popular teacher of the doctrine of the Trinity. He gets this doctrine of the Trinity that Tertullian is, is putting forth. Now, now listen to me. Tertullian is writing in the Latin language. He presents the doctrine of the Trinity in the Latin language to the West. He gets it from the Greek apologists who have uh, brought Greek philosophy into their, or the terms into teaching the word of the Lord. Okay. All right, so he's standing on the, apologist, uh, the Greek apologist's shoulders. Oregon, or Origen, however you want to say his name. I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name. 185 to 254 A.D., he also grabbed a hold of this doctrine. He started teaching a plurality of gods, beings, and persons. Did you hear what I said? He's supposed to be in the eastern part of the world. He's a, he's a teacher in Alexandria, Egypt, in in. The eastern part of the world. This man comes along and he says, it's not just three persons. It's three beings and it's three gods. So you've got major, major so-called church fathers who are bringing in terms that are not biblical like persons and trinity and three beings, three gods, three persons. It's not biblical. It's all rooted in paganism. It's rooted in Greek philosophy. Not in the Bible. All right. Say amen. amen. Does this help you understand? So as the oneness of God, Jesus being God, is challenged. It's coming under assault by pagans. This truth is being challenged. And at the same time that it's being challenged, God has some men. One man by the name of Praxius. Praxius went to Rome around 190. And he began to teach the absolute oneness of God. And that Jesus is God. Around 190 AD. Are you with me? Okay. Praxius was probably not his name. Praxius means busybody. It is believed that Tertullian... 
called him Praxius, called him a busybody because whoever this man was must have had some kind of influence and some kind of, of power and authority in the world at that time. And for him to speak out against this individually and use his name was not, you know, he knew it wasn't going to go very good. Because in case you don't know it, when Tertullian is rising up with this pagan philosophical terms like Trinity and persons in the Godhead, at that time, the majority in the world who believed in Jesus were one God believers. So for him to stand up and for him to challenge Praxius and call him by name, he knew he didn't stand a chance. Because most people in that time still believe the way you and I believe. So he just called him that busybody. Praxius. So Praxius rises up and he challenges the challengers. Are you with me? He's challenging Tertullian. He's challenging uh, Oregon. He said, no, that's not right. All right. He taught the absolute oneness of God. Just like we believe today. For the most part we understand. Another man who rose up and challenged the challengers was a man by the name of Sibelius. Sibelius went to Rome in 215 AD. And he preached in Rome. And it's hard to, to come to an exact understanding of what Sibelius believed. But he taught what basically we teach about the oneness of God. That Jesus was coming, God come in the flesh. That God was the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, and the Holy Ghost in sanctification. Not three separate persons, but one God in three different modes or three different uh, offices or manifestations of God. That's what he taught. Say amen. So he stood up and he challenged the challengers. Concerning the doctrine of the Trinity. Amen. Give God praise. What he basically taught was this. And this is what they say about Sibelius. And I'm quoting this is, uh, you can get this information out of Oneness of God and Trinity, years 100 through 300 by David Bernard. Okay? What is said about Sibelius? God is unity. He uses the term monas. We've already talked to you about that at the very beginning. He taught there was no distinction of the divine, uh, of the divine being. God, but reveals himself in successive modes or forms. Father was creator, son was redeemer, and spirit was the sanctifier, not three persons. Now, when you read this information about him, it's a little bit confusing. He taught, they said, expansion and contraction. Now, I don't know what all that means, <laughs> but that's what they said he taught. They had a problem with his what they believed he taught was a succession. You had the Father, then you had the Son, then you had the Holy Ghost. But as I read and studied, he didn't just believe in succession, the Father, then the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He believed that when, when God came as a man, the Father and the Son, that it wasn't successive, but it was sequential at the same time. That Jesus was God. So a lot of things they said about Sibelius' uh, teaching is probably not right. My whole point in, in giving you this information, you have to read it to get it for yourself, is that Sibelius and Praxius 
And men like that stood up and they challenged the challengers who were bringing in this paganized Greek philosophy that Tertullian grabbed a hold of and Latinized it and said, okay, it's not, uh, tri- what was the word I used a while ago that he used? Yeah, triad. That's what Theophilus of Antioch used, triad, or triados, or triads. He grabs a hold of that. He Latinizes it, and he says it's trinatus, or a tripersonal God. See? That's how it started moving in. Praise God. Give God praise. And so because Tertullian believed that there were three separate persons in the Godhead, and there were literally three separate physical bodies... They started baptizing in the titles. Tertullian did. Before Constantine ever came on the scene. Tertullian is is, uh, baptizing people in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And he's not just baptizing them one time. He's baptizing them three times. So one time for the Father. One time for the Son. And one time for the Holy Ghost. He is the first one to use Matthew 28, 19 as a Trinitarian formula for baptism. That's why I asked you earlier, why do we baptize in the name of Jesus? Because we as apostolics, when we do that, are declaring to everybody that Jesus is absolutely God. He is not a second person in the Trinity. He is not some demigod or lesser God or a lesser being than the Father. Come on. He is God come in flesh. But Tertullian is the first one to use these terms and use that baptismal formula. Now Tertullian himself in his writings declares that the majority of people who believed in Jesus Christ believed in modalism in his day. He said it himself. Modalism is what we believe, basically. That instead of there being three persons, it's just one God and three manifestations, or one God and three modes, or one God and three offices. And that don't limit Him. You can't limit Him to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Because He, he manifests Himself in, in more than, you know, those, those ways. He's the Lamb, you know. He's the Lion. You know, you can't limit him to just to those terms, but those are the major terms. So modalism taught modes, offices, or manifestations of one God. Amen. Give God praise. And Tertullian said, this man who comes up with this term that's not biblical, rooted in Greek philosophy, tells you himself that the majority of people in his day believed in modalism. Understand? What I'm trying to show you is that this so-called doctrine of the Trinity was a doctrine that came from paganism. It was an assault of paganism against the church. From Greek philosophy, Tertullian grabs a hold of it. He uses non-biblical terms concerning God. He, the baptismal formula is changed. It's all an assault on the truth of the word of the Lord. Even though in their day, they're, the majority of people believe just like you and I do. So it was a doctrine that came about over a period of time. It's not in the Word of God. It came about over, it evolved over a period of time. It's all rooted in paganism. 
Say amen. amen. Whew, hallelujah. I'm glad I know the truth tonight. Are you glad you know the truth tonight? Thank God for it, see? And all this that I'm giving you is historically documented. You can study it for yourself. This ain't something I'm getting by divine revelation. This is something I, you know, you can get this right out of the history book. Study for yourself. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's the truth. Amen? Oh, yeah. Some people use a term like Trinity or tri- 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 Triune or Trinitarianism. Say, no, that's not in the Bible. Show it to me. It's not in the Bible. It's a pagan philosophy that crept into the church. Okay. Say amen. Amen. Now, this trinity, Trinitis, uh, was the, the basically in 325 A.D. with Constantine coming in. Constantine was a worshiper of Baal. So what he does is there is a problem, okay? The problem is, at this time, 325 A.D., a man by the name of Arius. Arius teaches what the Greek apologist taught, that the Logos is a subordinate God to God, that the the Logos of the Word is another being beside God, okay? It denies the absolute deity of Jesus, So what happens is Constantine calls for these people, different church leaders from from the empire, to gather in Nicaea. And there, they're going to to debate and discuss the nature of Jesus Christ. Number one thing they're going to deal with is this Arius, this Arian doctrine that, that had come from the Greek apologists. But remember, Tertullian... The Trinitarian doctrine is basically him grabbing onto the Greek apologetic teaching of the Logos and just turning it into a, trin- a trinad. Right. Right. Say amen. amen. So Arius stands up and this big old debate takes place. And uh, another man by the name of Athanasia. You've heard of the Athanasian Creed. The Athanasian Creed was, was written between five, uh, the 5th and 8th century. It is the, the most modern trinitarian statement or document of trinitarian uh a statement a doctrine excuse me it is the most modern statement of trinitarian doctrine that there is that's where most modern day trinitarian doctrine comes from is the athanasian creed all right athanasia is refuting arianism that jesus is a subordinate god you with me he doesn't believe that Right? Are y'all with me still? Okay, let's go over here and look at something here. Let's go over. Let me give you some paperwork here. Maybe this will help you if I give this to you. Let's look. I know these terms are very, very heavy. Okay, let's look at some of it. Let's go over to the Council of Nicaea. If you got your paper there. The, the Council of Nicaea. All right. First page, last column at the top. Arius said, and we're in the Council of Nicaea. Okay. Arius said there was one God, not a trinity. Now remember, we're way up here in 325 AD now. 
and that Jesus is not truly God, but in effect, a demigod. Greek apologetics. He is a created being of a greater rank than humans, but not equal to the Father. Their imposition is equivalent to that of the Jehovah's Witnesses today. All right? At the Council of Nicaea, the leading spokesman against Arius was Athanasius, from which you get the Athanasian Creed, a young archdeacon from Alexandria who later succeeded Alexander as bishop. He taught that there are three persons in one God and that these three persons are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-essential or co-substantial of the same substance. The debate centered on the Father and the Son. Neither side spoke definitely about the Holy Spirit. Primarily, Arians attack, attacked the deity of Jesus, while Athanasius defended it, saying that Jesus is equal to the Father in every way, yet a second person. With me? So 325 A.D., even though the doctrine of the Trinity, the terms were coined by Tertullian. With me? When did he live? Gave it to you. Or when was he a bishop? Well, let me go back over there. I'm going to get confused here. 150 to 225. That's when he was alive, right? Okay. So, we're way beyond his time. He coined the terms Trinity, Trinitus, person in 210 A.D. Okay? Athanasius believes this three-person doctrine. Three separate persons in the Godhead. Arian believes that Jesus is not fully God. Got it? So here's the setting for this council. All right. Okay. Three factions developed at the council. A minority of Arians, a minority of Athanasians, and a majority who did not fully understand the issue involved, but who wanted peace. <laughs> in general, this third group took an intermediate position, but it's difficult to characterize them as a whole. Historians sometimes call many in this group originist or organist or semi-Arians. The majority did not necessarily embrace the complete Trinitarian doctrine of Athanasius, but they eventually voted with him in the defense of Christ's deity and against the Arian view. Okay? Athanasius considered all who opposed Arianism to be on his side, and some of his strongest supporters at this time were or turned out to be modalist. The creed that the Council of Nicaea passed clearly rejected Arianism, but it did not definitely establish Trinitarianism or reject modalism. Athanasius used four lines of reasoning to uphold the deity of Christ. Number one, scriptures teach it. Number two, the church has always worshipped Jesus. Number three, to be a savior, Jesus has to be God. He is the Logos, the word. And based on philosophical considerations, the Logos has to be God. He argued that Jesus is of the same essence as the Father. That is an incorrect statement. Because he's not just the same essence. He, there's only one essence of God. Not the same essence. There's only one essence of God. Right? You see to see how Athanasius' position could appeal to one of his believers. Faced with a choice between Arius and Athanasius on the deity of Jesus Christ. Oneness believers would choose the latter. In fact, the Arians objected that the doctrine of Athanasius sounded too much like that of Sibelius, a prominent modalist of the third century. Okay? So the whole point is this, is that Athanasius was a Trinitarian. 
But the basis for the Council of Nicaea, 325 AD, was to refute Arianism. It is to, to reject the teaching that Jesus was not God. But Athanasius was a Trinitarian. He brought in with him, you know, the false philosophy of the Greek apologist and the Tertullian terms. But he upheld the deity of Jesus in one sense over Arianism. So some of the modalists sided with him in that council. Do you understand what I'm trying to show you here? So that in the council of Nicaea 325 AD, this is where we had the terms Trinity, Trinitus, etc. used before. Right? Theophilus of Antioch. He died 181 AD. Tertullian died 225 AD. Coined the terms in 210. Trinitus, Trinity. So we've already got the terms. Persons and uh, Trinity and all of that. We've got those terms. Athanasius has grabbed onto those terms. But he says that Jesus is God. He just, there's just three persons in the Godhead. Arianism is totally... You know, because they reject the deity of Jesus altogether. So that's the ultimate reason for this council. But because Athanasius, his belief about Jesus and uh, that Jesus was God in a sense, but yet he was still Trinitarian, this council right here is the roots of establishing the doctrine of the Trinity as an established doctrine of the church. And at this council here, they rejected baptism in the name of Jesus. And sought to enforce baptism in the titles. And at this point, the pagans began to challenge oneness preachers. Try to bring them to a place of extinction. But they were unsuccessful. Amen. Say amen. amen. 381, Council of Constantinople. Got five minutes. The Council of Constantinople, 381. Now notice, in the Council of Nicaea, 325 A.D., they talked about the Father, they talked about the Son. Athanasius was a Trinitarian, but they don't say anything about the Holy Ghost. It's not until 381 A.D. in Constantinople that they have another council, and they add the Holy Ghost to it and say He's the third person in the Godhead. So it took almost 400 years of evolution from paganism from the Greek apologist who mixed Greek philosophy in with the doctrine of the word of the Lord and removed its purity to Tertullian who came in and coined the terms ter Trinitarian uh, Trinitus and used the term persons he's the first one to do that he did not believe that Jesus was God he believed that Jesus was in the Godhead right moving in time he died 25. Now you're in 325 A.D. You got the Council of Nicaea. Refuting Arianism. Refuting that Greek apologetic doctrine. But yet, Athanasia is a Trinitarian. You understand? So this is where, as far as establishing as a church doctrine, comes in. Because Constantine 312 A.D. gives the Edict of Toleration. Says, okay, we're not going to persecute the church. But because he's a pagan himself. He's embracing Christianity. He's seeking to bring paganism into the church. And he succeeds in it. And that's where the Catholic church comes from, or the universal church comes from, is, is from, you know, later on called the Catholic church, came from 
It's rooted in this right here. Their doctrine is what they believe. You understand? No more baptism in Jesus' name. They don't teach that, that, that you know, they don't teach modalism. They teach, I believe, that the, the founders that were there who refuted Arianism were Trinitarians. So we're moving to a Trinitarian concept of God. That's how it got in the church. That's the progression. But it's nothing more than a pagan assault against the oneness of God. Satan tried to use persecution, physical death against the church, didn't succeed. So, while persecution's going on, these Greek apologists are rising up. You know, some of them are not even Greeks. <laughs> they're Gentiles, but they're writing in Greeks to unbelievers. And they're mixing, you know, to appeal to the unbeliever, they're mixing Greek terms into the Word of God and taking away the purity of the Word of the Lord. The office of Antioch comes along and says, okay, there's a triad, or triads of God. Tertullian comes along. He grabs a hold of that phrase and says, no, I'm going to take triads, triad. I'm going to turn it into a trinitis of God. And I'm going to say there's three persons of God. And I'm going to say that Jesus is not God, but that Jesus is in the Godhead. And I'm going to say that God, the Father, the, the, you know, there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They all got three separate bodies. That's, that's tritheism. Dake's annotated Bible. Finnish Jake's had that same belief. Yeah. You, you, you look in his, his footnotes, Dake's annotated Bible. He believed in, that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost had three bodies. That's tritheism. And that's what Tertullian believed. And that's what Oregon, Origen believed. He believed in the plurality of beings, the plurality of persons, the plurality of gods. Right? You with me still? And all of this is moving into the church here. I say the church. It's, it's corrupting. Paganism, it's an assault against the church. But remember what I told you during the time of Tertullian, 225 AD, you know? Even at that point, he said the majority of the world believe in modalism or the oneness of God. Isn't that wonderful? All right, so I hope this gives you a little bit of understanding about, a little bit of understanding about history and where. Where these terms came from. They didn't come from the word of God. They came from Greek philosophers. Tertullian embraced it. And as far as establishes that the church doctrine. 325 was where it begins. As far as trying to establish it as a doctrine. 381 AD in Constantinople. They, they add the Holy Ghost to the Trinity. 400 years. Of evolution. Of a pagan doctrine. That's how it got in the church. Now. In the days of Tertullian, Oregon, again, the majority of believers were modalists. One God, they believed that Jesus was God come in the flesh. But now, now, the majority of people believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. You are a minority now. At one point, you were not a minority. You were the majority. Okay? Now you're in the minority. But I'm going to talk to you tonight as I close. i got about 10 minutes here. Show you how far, you know. And, and by the way, there has always been a remnant that believe what you believe because this is the, the true biblical church. Okay. What makes you different is what I'm teaching you tonight. What makes you distinct and different is what I'm teaching you tonight. You are different from anybody. Do you understand? You're different from Trinitarians. You're different from paganism. 
Because did you believe that Jesus is God? And the reason why you're baptized in Jesus' name is because you say Jesus is God. That's the main reason why you're baptized. Because I guarantee if you believed in the three separate persons, you wouldn't just get baptized in Jesus' name. You would, you would espouse to the doctrine of the Trinity and baptize in the titles. Okay? Go over here, last few minutes here. We're going to cover, this is from Indiana Bible College here. If you look at your papers there, this gives you some information about how many people in the world today approximately believe in this, this message that I'm preaching. Okay? Close to 20 million people. Does everybody get, did everybody get one of these? How many of y'all need? Wow, got a lot of people need, in need. I think they're still working on it. Okay, well, you'll get them. Don't worry. I mean, everything's going to be all right. Don't get nervous. You get nervous, you'll be like me. Okay, now listen to me. This right here, you're going to get this paper. You're going to get documentation on history. Not, you know. You can read it and you can set it for yourself to a point. But this is what I'm going to close with. Yeah, everybody look so you know what I'm doing here. See that paper? Okay. There's a man by the name of Talmud French. He is an instructor at Indiana Bible College. Okay? Working on, he uh, worked on his Master of Divinity, or Master, he get his Master's degree at Wheaton College in Illinois. Okay? Uh, very, very intelligent man. He, Talmud French, started out as a Trinitarian in the Church of God. Okay? Until he started looking into the oneness view. And for a long time, Talmud French thought that this was just some kind of little bitty old group that believed in this doctrine, you know. It was insignificant. And he, he says that's why a lot of people don't even look at it. Because they think it's just this little insignificant church on, on, in Odessa, Texas called Bible Center Fellowship that believes this, you know. So if you've got a handful of people that believe this way, you know, don't even mess with looking at it. But Talmud French <clears throat> began to have a desire to look into this, this teaching on the oneness of God as a, a viable a teaching concerning the Godhead as an alternative to teaching the doctrine of the Trinity. As a Trinitarian, he came into the knowledge of the truth and now Talmud French is a oneness believer who's got his master's degree in the Greek language. He is a teacher at Indiana Bible College from which this course came that I am teaching you from. Right? Talmud, Talmud, French, uh, Talmud French went and he went to the Wheaton College. And I don't know exactly what Wheaton College believes altogether. But he went to them and he requested if he could study the oneness movement. And see how far reaching uh, it, it you know, spread throughout the world. Wheaton Bible College... He states in this paper, after he twisted their arm a little bit, they gave in to this, this study, all right? Now, on the first page, he also makes reference here in the last column. He says, also at Wheaton, I was running across discussions of modalism and the oneness of God. On top of that, I had previously begun a research project with Dr. Edith uh, Blumhofer, a historian of the Assemblies of God. 
Now, the assemblies of God embraced that pagan philosophy of the Trinity. They still promote it today. They embraced it over the truth of the Word of God. But look, Dr. Edith Blumhofer, a historian for the assemblies of God, she was convinced, as, as was I, listen, that the oneness movement had never been adequately studied. Most research shies away from it. Religious scholars have tended to regard it as some small fringe. Okay, some small fringe. Not important enough to warrant study. But having been a Trinitarian for many years, I felt a desire to study the movement and doctrine in terms of how it had been fleshed out in various organizations groups. I wanted to show that oneness is a viable alternative to Trinitarianism in the world of conservative Pentecostalism. Thus, Brother French approached the power that be at Wheaton and after some arm twist, convinced them to allow him to do the research. Brother French's research took him in symbolic sense around the globe as he interviewed experts, devoured obscure documents, and updated numbers that were often decades old. He encountered hundreds of oneness groups, both large and small, in literally every part of the world. His conclusions show numbers of oneness believers that dwarf any previous estimate. For instance, Brother French documents over 15 million apostolics throughout the world, with there being perhaps as many as 18 million. Now, I don't know how old this paper is. I don't see any date on it. Uh, 1996. Okay, yeah, there it is on that page. 1996. So it's about 10 years old. When he did the research, he said 15 to 18 million people in the world when he did the research 10 years ago. And I guarantee you tonight that it's a lot larger than 20 million. You can guarantee it's more than 20 million. So it's not a, he found out it's not a little fringe group that believes this. He said it's massive, it's large. He started over in China. Because he thought in China, China was going to be the place that would have the smallest oneness group there. So he started where he thought, you know, it would be the smallest. He found out that in China it had the largest. Over three million one God, Jesus name. Believers in China, over three million brothers and sisters. All right? I'm, I'm on the second page there, Land of the Rising Sun. Give you the documentation. Over three million. Let me make sure I'm pointing to the right, right thing here. He goes, he talks about a lot of, uh, a lot of different groups like the Philippines, Japan, etc. Okay. Go, go over there on the first page. Look on the first page. Look down at the bottom of the black part, black section of the first page. You can get the information I'm talking about. He goes, he gets the information from China. There's over 3 million in Asia, 3 million apostolics in mainland China alone. China is the home to the world's largest oneness group, the True Jesus Church. Isn't that awesome? 3 million in China alone. I think he said, I don't remember exactly, but I think he said 3.3 million, you know, in, in Asia, that, that area alone. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, he gives you the information on, on a lot of those groups that are there. Let me go on down.
Well, for the sake of time, y'all read all this information. But we'll just talk about over there on the, I think it's the second page. The second page over to your right. The U.S. top ten. In the U.S. alone. Okay? United Pentecostal Church, 600,000 estates. Pentecostal Assemblies of the World, over 500,000. Church of Our Lord Jesus Christ, Apostolic Faith, 300,000. Bible Way Church of Our Lord Jesus Christ, 250,000. Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what Brother Edmonds is a part of, 100,000. Uh, Apostolic Church Assemblies of the Faith in Christ Jesus, Hispanic Organization, 300,000. Pentecostal Churches of the Apostolic Faith, 95,000. United Church of Jesus Christ Apostolic, 100,000. International Ministerial Association, 95,000. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ of Apostolic Faith, 50,000. But anyway, as you read all that, you will see the information. He, he calculates about 15 to 18 million people, and that was 10 years ago. I didn't even see that date till tonight. So it's not a small group of people now that believe this. That believe what you believe. It is not a doctrine. The Trinity, doctrine of the Trinity is not a biblical doctrine. You know? Okay, so let's go back to the start. Facts. Triune, Trinity, Trinitarian are terms that are not even in the Bible. That should be enough for you to say, that's not true. But if that's not enough, I've, hopefully I've given you a lot of information that's going to help you understand, okay? Uh, I don't know how much longer we're going to go on in this, but praise God, we've covered a lot of, lot of area about the oneness of God. hope this encourages you tonight to know that you've got brothers and sisters all over the world tonight that believe exactly what you believe. Amen? And that's what makes you different. And that's what makes you distinct. That you believe that Jesus is God and you baptize in the name of Jesus. Okay? Now... There are other people that get the Holy Ghost speak in tongues that are Trinitarians. They do. And it's real. Okay? But what makes you different is you believe that Jesus is God. Right? Let's stand. Father God, we just come before you right now. We ask you, Lord Jesus, just to bless this church.